Dr. Mary Lamia, writing for Psychology Today, she's a PhD psychologist, says this about disappointment. She says, disappointment is a profound way in which sadness is experienced. She goes on to say, disappointment is the experience of sadness involving unfulfilled hopes or expectations. Unfulfilled hopes or expectations. And I think every one of us in this room, if we're honest, will admit that we face disappointments. Either in the past or currently or very soon. We all, we all go through that. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to do it in the context of our gospel lesson that we had a few moments ago. Where we have this man who's very disappointed. Who's been there for 38 years. We're going to talk about it in a, in a bit. And, and what Jesus does with him and what we can learn from it. This gospel is from the fifth chapter of John. And uh, I want to set the stage before we start to look at this interaction between Jesus and this man. So this uh, whole thing is taking place in Jerusalem, as we heard. And if you'll know, like the main part of Jerusalem is a walled city. And it has numerous gates all around the city. And there's this one gate called the Sheep's Gate. And guess what goes through that gate? (laughs) The sheep go through that gate. And right near there, there's this pool. And it's a, this um, pool where people who are decrepit in some way or need healing in some way um, gather around this pool in large crowds and they wait. They're waiting for a miracle to take place. Sort of like many of us do. We gather in this large crowd waiting for our own miracle, right? But there was this legend around this pool. And it didn't say it directly in our gospel, but you probably picked up on it. The legend is that this, the angel of the Lord would come down periodically and stir the pool and make it bubble. And whoever the first person is who got into the pool when it was in that state would be healed. That was the legend. And this guy has wanted to be healed. And he's been sitting by this pool for 38 years. He's been sitting by the pool. It's a long time, 38 years. And he's got this need that he has as he sees it. And he's waiting for his miracle. And again, I think that's where many of us live. We face these things that are disappointing or painful or hurtful. And we sometimes sit around just waiting. Like someone is going to come and do something for us. And there's going to be this miracle that takes place. This guy just keeps doing this day after day. 38 years. And you can get without a lot of imagination that he is sad angry, frustrated, and certainly disappointed. And we may begin to ask, what, what kind of goes to the root of this? I mean, there might lots of things we may say, and we don't have the benefit of being right there with him, but one of the things we might look at and think about is this idea that anytime we put our trust in anything other than God, we're going to be disappointed. That everything else in some way or another doesn't work out the way we want or plan. And as I've said before, maybe the only sin there is in the world is really us trying to be on the throne of our lives, trying to think that we should be able to control how everything goes. And it doesn't work that way. But we, we trust in God who's reliable that way. But if we trust in anything else, it seems to go awry. And this guy has hoped and trusted for something else, his, basically what is probably his entire life. And you stop and wonder, what could have been during these 38 years? Okay, he's crawling around or doing whatever, and he wants to be made well he wants to be made whole in this way because he has this vision of what that's going to look like. But what could he, he have done with these 38 years instead of sitting by the pool every day? 
Where does that go? I don't know. But he has this frustration, this anger, this disappointment that he gets because he's been there 38 years. And part of the question we have, maybe we don't like to own it or think about it or focus on it, is what are the disappointments we are carrying? What are our secret disappointments? If we could open up our hearts and let someone see everything that's there right now, what, what are the things that are there that maybe we don't want to even look at? All these disappointments. I know I've been through some hard chapters of late, and it's, we all carry them. We all have things that we thought should be different, and they're not, and we, and we get this disappointment with it. And maybe sometimes it's a parent, a child, a spouse, relationship we're in or relationship we don't have or employers or our job opportunities or an event or maybe it comes down at some point to us and just saying this is not the way I thought my life was going to be this is not where I thought I was going to be I should be way ahead I should be doing this whatever and the disappointment is ultimately with us maybe we're sitting by the pool in the same way hoping some way there's going to be this miracle that's going to put it the way we think it should be because that's what this guy's doing right and how does Jesus meet him in his disappointment? He meets him ultimately with mercy and love. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I think it would be really, really a bad thing for us to gloss over this dialogue that Jesus has with him before Jesus takes action. Right? Because I don't know. I mean, you look at this first question that Jesus asks him in verse 6. Jesus looks at this guy and, and says to him, do you want to be healed? Now just think about that for a moment. The guy's been sitting there for 38 years, and Jesus is asking him, do you want to be healed? That's crazy talk, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. He's been sitting there for 38 years. But I want to say maybe it's not crazy talk, because Jesus knows his heart, and many of us, deep down, like our little pet hurts. Or many of us, deep down, don't want to deal with the change that would go with being healed. Or we don't want to take the responsibility to the extent it exists for our piece of it. We've got this broken, busted relationship, and we want someone else to put us in the pool and give us the miracle, and we don't want to draw the circle around us and say, what can I change? What can I change in this system? We don't want that. Or we're, we're not as close to God as we want to be, but we're not willing to say, I'm going to make the room to be open, to receive him, and to hear his voice, and to go where he leads, because I like my world the way I order it. And I think we do that on a lot of things. We just don't want the change. And I wonder about this guy. He's been there 38 years. He knows when he gets up tomorrow what, what piece of stone he's going to sit on. He knows Charlie's on the left and Elizabeth's on the right. He knows the people around him. He's comfortable with where he's going to be. Does he really want it? And Jesus is looking at him saying, do you want it? Do you want to be healed? And, of course, that is the, the whole spring of hope so often is that we have the ability to change. We may have done something for 38 years, but it can be changed. And it doesn't always have to come from the outside. I think Jesus didn't start. He could have skipped this whole dialogue and just said, okay, we're done. But he asked him, do you want to be, do you want to be made well? And that place of hope is coming to this place of saying, yeah, I do want to be made well. Or the relationship that we have that's so busted or broken that we're limping along with, do you want to be, have it made well? Do you want it made well enough that you're willing to draw a circle around you and start looking at your piece of it? Or do we want, not want to admit that we have any responsibility? I wonder if that's Jesus' question. And part of the answer 
that this guy gives, and we do it too, or at least I do it, many of us do it, is to give excuses, right? We don't want to admit this piece of it. We want to start making different kinds of excuses. And that's what this guy does, right? I don't know if you paid attention to how this goes. So Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be made well? And did you hear his answer? He answers back and says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But Jesus didn't ask that. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus didn't ask that. He asked him, do, do you want to be made well? And it's, it's a point for us to stop and ask, what excuses do we give ourselves? Oh, I'm in this place because, it's, you know, my parents did this to me. That's a, always a good one. Or whatever else, you know, whatever else it is, you know, this, if only this happened or only that or whatever, we want to hold on to, I'm not where this is because, because of this. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't ask that first question because he wants this guy to have some ownership in it. He wants him to see that he has a choice in this. He, like everything else, God's a gentleman and doesn't force it down his throat. Do you want it? Is this something you want? Is this a, something you're willing to choose? Is this something you're even willing to, would be willing to work for? I've been, as I mentioned earlier, through a, co- a couple rough chapters, and I've been thinking about this. I read something the other day. This is, I'm stepping outside of Scripture for a minute, so just take this for what it's worth. But I was reading this writer the other day who, who was saying that all of us face pain, but whether you suffer or not depends on how, what you choose to do with the pain. And I've really been noodling on that, thinking about that. Is that. Are there people that we know who live in these painful situations who seem to have joy in spite of it because they've made that decision that they're going to choose their response in that situation? I don't know, but Jesus looks at this guy and, and asks him, do you want to make a choice? Do you want to be made well? And I think Jesus looks at each of us and asks the same thing. Do you, do you want to go to that place? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to see the grace? Do you want whatever the, the thing is? And, and maybe all of this is that there is a choice involved in it for us. Maybe there's a choice ultimately with your own happiness is about choosing that, right? I always think about the very first mission trip I ever went on in Central America. It was very, very powerful for me in my, in my spiritual journey because I had had my faith destroyed as an exchange student in South America. And now I was back in Central America and I was in this dirt poor suburb of Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And it was dangerous and it was, people were no shoes on the kids' feet. You know, it was just the average Honduran makes 800 bucks a year kind of thing. And there was so much joy. And I was with this group of people who were all just scratching our heads going, wait a minute, we've been told our whole lives that you've got to have all this money and stuff and success to be happy. And these people have nothing and they're happy. And it was really rocking worlds this way. And it made me stop and really think a lot about it. You know, are they just making the choice? Don't, doesn't somebody need to pull them aside and say, you're only making $800 a buck a year. You can't be happy. <laughs> They've chosen to be happy. The people we were around were, were just were happy, you know. I don't know. There's a choice element in here. The other thing this guy does with his answer, though, so right after this, you know, these people are making this choice, maybe, as I mentioned, but it leads us to the next thing because he answers in this saying, well, well, I, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Okay, so he's making that excuse. But then you get the next thing he says, I think, reflects a little bit of his resentment because he says, yeah, and when I start to move, somebody always beats me there. And it's like this resentment piece. And, and where do we go with that, right? How easy is it for us to begin to not only walk past our excuses about maybe what God's asking us to choose, 
But then we start looking at other people and we say, oh, well, their job is so good. They've, they're making so much money with what they do and they seem to have it so easy. Or that ma- their marriage seems to be flawless. Or that person got engaged. Or this person has the perfect child and they never have any struggles or on and on. And I always think about that. And I look at the Ten Commandments and you go back and you look at the Ten Commandments. How many of them are like, don't covet this, this person's stuff. Don't covet their relationship. Don't covet this stuff. And it's not just rules. I think part of it's about our happiness. Because when we get to that place where we're focusing on what other people have or do or whatever else, it robs us, I think. And this guy's in that place. Oh, man, look at what they, they all beat me. They're all faster than me. They can all walk. They all get where they're going. None of that was what Jesus was about. Jesus is looking at this guy saying, do you, do you want to be healed? And I think the guy's kind of struggling with it, right? But Jesus is looking at him with love and with mercy. And he meets him. And we get the, the next thing that, that Jesus says to him. We get this passage where Jesus just says in verse 8, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And the, guy's, the guy is healed on the spot. And he gets up and walks. And now, I feel like it would be irresponsible to, to not say more right there. Because we live in a broken world where many of us are, have pains and things we wish we could get this kind of healing for that we're going to carry all the way to the end. But we do see people healed. And I think of it, we live in what some theologians call the in-between times. God's kingdom has started, but it's not in its fullness. So we see people who get healed, but not everybody. I used to work at a church where the, the priest, who's, who's kind of a well-known around the world, he used to say that once upon a time in this church, we used to not pray for people to be healed and we didn't see anybody get healed. We started praying for people to be healed, and we saw some people get healed. It's like this in-between times where we see things happen, but not always. And part of our deal is to, under, is to, is to understand and, and live with that, right? That there's going to be pain, but God's in it, right? I think that's the other thing. Come, we, we're in Easter now, but coming through Holy Week, we're always mindful that whatever the, every religion in the world has to answer pain, because everyone in the world gets it. And the Christian answer, in part, is to point to the mystery of it, but to say quickly, God's in it. That God is not remote from it. We look at Good Friday and we see Jesus betrayed, whipped, beaten, spat upon, bloodied, and ultimately killed. And whatever our answer is about suffering, we're going to have to say, look, I don't understand why it all happens, but I can tell you God's in it. And God is always going to meet us in our pain and our disappointments with his mercy. And part of our question is, do you want to be healed? Is will we let his mercy come in? Because as we let his mercy come in, it will take us to a new place. And I don't think it's crazy talk on that first question, do you want to be healed? Because a lot of times we're so busy telling God how our terms, we're negotiating with God. Yeah, I want to be healed, but this is how I want it to look. And, and God's just wanting us to, to, get, to yield into his mercy and to his grace. And I think it's um, bringing us to that place of being, being open to it, right? And receiving what it, what it is that he has for us in all of that. Because in all that, we receive God's energy and love and mercy. But I'm not going to lie, I think the question that he asks us is a big question. Because it calls us to surrender to his love and to his mercy and to his grace. And when we face, like when you start getting into big disappointments, it's hard, right? It's hard to be in that place because a lot of times we, the pain can be so acute so quickly 
We want all these quick things to numb us or distract us. And that's a whole other sermon I wish I could go into. But all the bad things that we frequently want to grab because they're right there to numb us or distract us. But if we, if we can take God's support and strength and love and mercy and grace to deal with them straight up and to let him empower us in that, I think there's huge change, right? And ultimately, that's going to be the deep place from which we find meaning and satisfaction. I think we think about St. Augustine saying, you're never going to rest until you rest in God. And that's, to me, this, when he says rest in God, I think it's meaning be open. Be open to God's um, mercy and grace and strength and energy and all the stuff he's going to give us in that. Well, let me bring this thing in for a landing. Um, all of us, nobody gets away from pain. Everybody is going to deal with pain in our lives. And I'm sorry if anybody thinks you're alone in it because you're not. We probably don't say it enough because we want to be positive. There's reason to be positive. But everybody faces pain. The Christian journey, though, is to say that there is a love and a mercy and a grace that will either heal us in a sense of a cure or will walk with us in a way that will help us endure and to face it and to give us a real choice about how we, how we live with it. And uh, I'm looking to see if I have time. I want to read um, something that was posted yesterday on Facebook by one of my friends. This, um, I've known this girl since she was itty-bitty. She's a sophomore in college. And yesterday on um, Facebook, she, she wrote this. And I just want, I want you to see... I think her saying, I want to be healed, but not only God's grace in this, but God's grace through the community of faith, right? She says, my life changed pretty drastically a year ago today. I was in the darkest place mentally and emotionally that I've ever been in for more reasons than one. But I didn't and I haven't given up. When things were hard, I found love in my family. When I felt so alone in my struggle with anxiety and depression, I found grace in Jesus in a way I never have before. She's being open to the support of her friends and her family and God's grace in that moment. And it changes things, right? Jesus says he's the bread of life, this deep thing that will feed us. He is this living water which will not thirst. He'll keep quenching that thirst deep in our souls. He'll keep giving us this thing. And at the end of the day, he'll give us everything that we need. I'll, I'll end with this passage from Peter. In 2 Peter, it says, His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything that's needed. Do you want to be made well? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. Wherever we go, whatever we face, we thank you that you not only know our pain, but you've entered it. Lord, help us to not feel alone in it. May we always know you're in it with us. May we have the strength to draw upon you to face down the, the brokenness of the world. May we draw on your resources, your strength, your love, your mercy to deal with the hurts and disappointments. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.